0: the body, to build faith, we are saying, Holy Spirit, do your work in my life, in the life of our our church body, and we thank you for that. We just pray now that your Holy Spirit would take the living word of God, and that you would change our lives, because we've been in your presence, and we've heard from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you've been in and around church very long, you know that there's no such thing as a perfect church. Now if you're if you're a first-time guest here, I apologize, I have to tell you this, but we're not a perfect church. There is no perfect church. Every church has challenges, or every church has problems. Big ones, small ones, relational problems, operational problems, even spiritual problems. Because churches are, after all, made up of humans, okay? Human beings, that's all of us, human beings. All the angels are in the outfield, okay? However, we should all be encouraged to know that the church still, despite that, is alive and well. And has actually done very well through all kinds of ups and downs over history. Christianity is still the largest faith or religion in the entire world. In spite of the fact that Apple and Google eliminated Easter from their calendar this year. I don't know if you noticed that. They replaced it with the national holiday, April Fool's Day. Now, they've changed that since then. They got a lot of flack. I hope so. But anyway, just, I just wanted to throw that out. Just so you know. But we face, as ch- as a church, we face challenges. Challenges of all types are not relegated to this century. They were, they're not just recent in the 21st century. The very first churches in history faced challenges galore. And last week we began a brand new message series entitled The Church That Never Was, The Church That Can Be jesus set up the church to be a group of believers to to be unified to be purified to be spiritual and effective loving god loving people and all about transforming lives but in spite of that the church was not perfect then and it's not perfect today and of course we're not trying to reach perfection as a church i don't think that'll happen probably in this life we do want to reach health and be a healthy church. And we want to actually, and we'll be talking more about this as we go through 1 Corinthians, move from being healthy to being fit. 1 Corinthians is a nearly 2,000-year-old year, year old letter written to a new church in Corinth, the city of Greece. And last Sunday, we began to the question, who are we? Now, let me just say this. This series It's very important to have continuity. And if you're listening online or if you're listening or if you missed one of the messages today because of the snow, um, make sure that you listen to the recording of this because it's very, very important that we hear every one of these. There's a a continuity and a flow that goes through this whole series. And so if you missed last Sunday, please listen to it. Do something. But it's very important that you catch all of it, not just part of it. It'd be like reading a book and just reading every other chapter. It's not, you kind of lose track of where you are we begin with the question who are we five phrases the apostle the author used to describe he talked about the fact that we are the local church and that we are reserved for God in other words we are set apart for his purposes and his purposes alone we're sanctified or we're being cleaned up by Jesus we're not perfect but he's in the process of cleaning us up The church we discovered is the local expression of God's character, God's localized presence in a particular place. And yes, God is everywhere, but He expresses His presence and lives out His presence through people in a particular place. When Jesus was on earth, He did all His actions, His miracles, His healings, His signs and wonders, teaching through His physical body. And his purpose for coming was to seek and to save the lost. He was there to to restore people into their relationship with his Father God. Jesus did that through his physical body while he was here on earth. Jesus, God in the flesh. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he instituted the next phase of the kingdom of God, the church. The church is Jesus' body. It's Jesus' physical presence on earth. And through this physical body, that's you, the church, Jesus now does all his actions, his miracles, healings, signs, and wonders, and teachings in order to bring people into relationship with God. That's our mission, to restore that lost, broken relationship between God and humans. That's what we're there. Now, we also looked at the fact that the church is not buildings. The church is people, okay? You are the church, And as people, we are recipients of God's love and grace. We're persons of great potential, and we're also people of hope. People of hope. And we get into the message today, Paul starts to get into the nitty-gritty. I told you we were going to get into the nitty-gritty. He's going to talk about disagreements that cause divisions. Disagreements that cause divisions. What were some of the disagreements in the early church that cause divisions, and what are some of the disagreements in the church today that cause divisions? And most importantly, how do we handle disagreements so that they do not produce divisions? Today, we're going to look at my way or the highway, my way or the highway. Title of this message, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1, Starting with verse 10, it's on page 924 in the Bible in the rack in front of you if you want to follow along. It'll be on the PowerPoint as well. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's a huge challenge. That's what he says. He says, my brother, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the, the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. As we start this this passage today, we find, number one, Roman numeron, that there are divisions in the church, divisions in the church. Paul makes it very clear at the beginning that he's become aware of divisions or schisms or quarrels or disagreements in the church. Now, the word division literally means tears or cracks. Tears or cracks. It's a graphic word picture of disagreement that literally is tearing this church apart. I want us to look at what the issues were then and then look at maybe what the issues are today when we talk about disagreements that, Cause division in the church. Back then, letter A, there were evidently four factions in this church. Four factions. You say, only four? That's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) Well, maybe so. Four factions in this church. Four groups in the community, and each group seems to have its own emphasis and own leader. Now, I don't think the leaders that, that are listed here necessarily condone the divisions, but each group followed a leader and they seem to be intolerant or antagonistic to the other three. Good scholarship gives evidence of what these four groups disagreed on. This has been studied and I just want to summarize a little bit about what the conclusions are. It's instructive, but much more important than the specific issues are how we deal with disagreements so that they don't result in division. Where two or three are gathered together, there will be disagreement. Agreed? Just checking. Okay. Group number 1 was the Paul group. Is the Paul group. I follow Paul, they said. This group likely consisted of charter members. Most of these were the Gentiles that Paul led to faith in Jesus and they started this whole church at the beginning. They were people from non-religious backgrounds who had experienced God's unconditional love. They had experienced God's forgiveness and God's grace. And they emphasized God's love and grace. That was their primary emphasis. They probably liked to celebrate the freedoms that they had in Christ. Paul addresses some of these people who later were trying to use their newfound freedoms, turning their liberty into license. And we talk about the stumbling blocks that they were causing to other people in their faith journey. But they were they were free to do certain things, and so they emphasized the love and grace. And today we see the same issues. People who like to emphasize the the grace and love of God, but they do do it at the expense of God's holiness and his wrath and his justice. People who want to emphasize forgiveness, but not repentance. Liberty, but not law. This can be typical of a lot of things. It's typical of a cult. In the 1970s, there was a cult called the Children of God. Some of you may have been aware of the Children of God. I was in Dallas, Texas for Explo 72 in the summer of 1972 and ran into a young woman who was recruiting people for their group. I learned later that the Children of God, this group, was a cult and it promoted communal living with, with free sex among members. They called it love, and they emphasized forgiveness. And all they did was say, you can do whatever you want. Just, you know, God will forgive you. Well, God does forgive, but we're not to use it as an excuse for non-biblical behavior or for sin. I've had people in past ministry contexts who have urged me to emphasize God's forgiveness, not God's demands. Well, there has to be a balance between the two, God's forgiveness and God's demands. So that was the, the Paul group. Then we had number two, we had the Apollos group. Apollos had the pow, was a powerful preacher described in the book of Acts, and he was described as being, being eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. This faction was most likely enamored with his wisdom and began to emphasize wisdom and the intellect. This group emphasized intellectual faith, intellectual faith. They liked the, the intellect. They wanted intellectual Christianity. Well, Christian belief is intelligent and it is intellectual, but is far more than just information. We have people today for whom their faith is a mere, merely an intellectual assent to a set of propositions. They ascribe to a set of beliefs. It's all mental, there's no emotion, there's, there's no passion. The Apollos group. Number three, the Peter group, the Peter group. I follow Cephas, Cephas. Most likely, this group consisted of converted Jews, Jewish converts to Christ, who had deep roots in Judaism. And as, as coming out of Judaism, they, they were deeply steeped in monotheism and also, which was good, but they also steeped in legalism. They emphasized rules and regulations, rules and regulations. They may have felt that all the new believers should be circumcised and live under the custom of the law of Moses. We studied that, that group in the, in the book of Acts. They had to come against those people who were wanting everybody to follow Jesus and the law of Moses. They had a legalized faith. For these, faith consisted in what they didn't do and what they did do. List of rules and regulations. Uh, how many churches today are caught up in legalism, defining their faith by do's and don'ts? We've all seen that in, in past. It's the do's and don'ts. We define who's in and who's out by what they do or th- what they don't do. They love the mantra, what would Jesus do? Because as long as I do what Jesus did, then I'm good. I'm in. That's what they do. It's okay to ask what G- would Jesus do, but that's not the basis of our acceptance before God. Then we have the fourth group. This was called the Christ group. I follow Christ. Don't we all? Don't we all follow Christ? They? But, well, the mention of the Christ party suggests that this group thought they had some special relationship to Jesus that other people did not. Or that they had the correct emphasis the other groups did not. There was an exclusivism or spiritual pride. They emphasized experiential faith. Experiential faith. Is Christianity experiential? Absolutely. But it's more than just experience or emotions. And by the context of the rest of 1 Corinthians, as we go into this, these people may have been the ones who had the gifts of prophecy and tongues, and they had elevated tongues as the highest of all the gifts. Now, there was a cultural reason for that. We'll, we'll discuss that when we get further into 1 Corinthians. But they emphasized experience, and experience was the most important part of their faith, and they had a tendency towards emotions. Most of them were not Norwegian, but that's okay. Just checking. Everybody wait? Okay. Now, look around yourself today. We have churches, groups of churches, even whole denominations built on one of these four emphases. Groups who emphasize their freedoms, their love and grace, and they look down on those who dare not be so free. Groups who emphasize the intellect and and look down their noses at any display of experientialism or emotionalism. Anything with emotional spirituality. Legalists whose rules and regulations are equal to or even supersede scripture. And experientialists who say, you have to have the same experience with God that I've had or you have not arrived. Do you see the problem? Emphasizing God's grace and unconditional acceptance and forgiveness emphasizing the intellect and probably putting down the emotional part of faith, legalists who measure spiritual life by external seeking to earn God's favor, and experientialists, emotionalists, who think everybody has to have the same experience with God, they did. Sound familiar? Each, each faction having a portion of the truth and claiming to be the exclusive right ones. Wow. Do you remember the story of the four blind men who were asked to describe the elephant? You guys remember that story? I'll just, I'll, I'll go through it real quickly. Four blind men were asked to describe the elephant. And of course, they're, they're, they have to touch and feel an elephant because they can't see with their eyes, so they had to do it by, by feel, by touch. Well, one grabbed the trunk of the elephant and he just said, an elephant is like a thick snake. One of the blind men grabbed the tail. And he said, an elephant is like a thin rope. Another grasped the ear and he says, wow, an elephant is like, like a, a big leaf of a tree. Another felt the leg of the elephant and said, an elephant is like a trunk of a tree. Each described the elephant, what it was like in their experience. And they were all right. They were all right. All were describing a part of the whole, their part, of course. But the sum total was something larger than any of them could describe. In the same way, Christianity is larger than any of us can adequately describe or even experience. And each church is based on their experience of the elephant, not the whole. It's what's my experience of the elephant? so we have the church that never was can we have the church that can be with all of these elements or are we destined to have every church segmented by opinions and divisions and schisms based on our small mindedness that was then what about now? What about today? What issues are raised in the church about which we disagree and allowed to divide us? All of those four are part of that, and we see that in the church of Jesus Christ today. But there are other things, too. and It would be easier to describe the one or two things we agree on, but let, let's look at, at some things that we disagree in, uh, on in the church today. Now, we're just going to look at five. There are many more than five, but I'm just going to... These are, these are more l- illustrative. Today, we have... First of all, we have doctrinal differences. Doctrinal differences. These are the most obvious. In our statements of faith and on our website, and we have all these things. And Doctrinal differences, and this Bible college and that seminary, whatever, they all teach something different as truth. Doctrine is what we believe about God, truth, in the Bible. It's about spiritual things. And we have to divide doctrinal issues into two categories. So there are subcategories under that. The first one is essentials. Essentials. Essentials have to do with biblical absolutes, absolute truths, things necessary for salvation. Truths that are timeless, applicable 2,000 years ago as they are today. These truths have stood the test of the time and are considered essential to Orthodox Christianity. And most churches will agree on essentials. This would be the Bible is the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God. Or there is one God existing in three persons, the the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The deity of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth, life, miracles, and teaching. Death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Most mainstream evangelical churches will agree on those. The deity, and, and then moving on to the mankind is fallen. The only means of salvation from sin and eternal death is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Those are things we all seem to agree on. Then the character of God, as described in the Ten Commandments. We spent all fall looking at God's top ten, the Ten Commandments, expanded by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Those describe the character of God, and Jesus moved the Ten Commandments from the external observable acts to the internal, the heart, the attitude, the desires, thoughts, and intentions. So these are just some of the essentials that we cannot compromise lest we take the heart out of the gospel of Christianity. Those are essentials, and most churches will agree on that. Biblical absolutes, absolute truth. And Norman Geisler, an apologist, said, and he was speaking particularly of inerrancy of Scripture in the original autographs, he said, I would rather be divided by truth than united in error. I'd rather be divided by truth and united in there. And he's talking about biblical absolutes, things that are essential to our Christian, Orthodox Christian faith. But then there are what we call non-essentials. Non-essentials. These are issues that are, we would probably say are not essential for salvation, but the truths that we hold on to just as tenaciously and enthusiastically. And while admitting we may have part of the truth, it's important that we have a stand. As we, we need to have a stand on what we call non-essentials. We need to be willing, however, to admit that we may be touching part of the elephant. And that's okay. One part of the elephant. First Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. Now I know in part. Now I know in part. In other words, we don't have all the answers. There are some things we don't know for sure. What are some of those essentials? What are the areas that we disagree? And again, we can disagree. Don't let it divide. Disagree, not divide. Number one would be end times theology. End times theology. Some will read the late great planet Earth or left behind book series and you may have convinced, been convinced that you know exactly how history is going to end. And it's nice and neat in those books. Uh, others believe there's more symbolism and that we couldn't, can't put everything in Daniel and the book of Revelation in nice neat systems. And, and so they're a little bit more open on that. Now whether you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, or post-tribulation rapture. The fact remains, we're going to all go up together. Just saying. Just saying. Disagree. Don't let it divide. How about the security of the believer? Can a person once saved then possibly go lost? If we choose to stay connected to Christ, no one can take our relationship away. We are Secure, but I, I believe we retain free will and we can lose if we choose. Others disagree. Is it essential? No. Disagree. Don't let it divide. How about baptism? That's a hot button. Boy, I was, in a, I was in a John Brown University and boy, you had people all over the map on this. Talk about discussions. I refuse to argue. But you have Lutherans, Presbyterians, Catholics that baptize infants and believe it's a means of grace for salvation. As as Wesleyans, we typically baptize someone after they've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, believers' baptism. Some do infant dedication, some do infant baptism, even in the Wesleyan Methodist tradition. And then there are the subtle nuances of infant baptism. That's an entry into the covenant relationship, not kind of the means of grace, but it's a covenant relationship that needs to be renewed at the age of accountability. And you can go on and on. There are so many nuances to that. Okay. And we're going to disagree. Don't let it divide. Don't let it divide. How about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some believe prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues have passed away. And they're not for the church today. Do I condemn them? No, I disagree with them. I believe all the spiritual gifts are in operation in the church today. Disagree. Don't let it divide. There's a lot of diversity out there. and Sometimes... We're divided by doctrinal differences. That's why the church that never was just never has been. Don't let that happen. I include a quote in your notes from Chrysostom, one of the church fathers: "In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. in all things, Jesus Christ. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity in all things. Jesus Christ. Unity in the essentials and tolerance in the non-essentials. Doctrinal differences. We'll have doctrinal differences, even within this church. It's okay. Disagreement, don't let it divide. Then there are cultural differences, cultural differences. Sometimes we are divided culturally. you You can look at that like social differences. We all have different ways of interacting with people. Different ways of dealing with different occasions. Some are invited to a picnic and they come dressed in the latest picnic wear. Okay, you ever done that? Um, others just come in jeans and cutoffs or whatever. You go to a golf course. There's some golf courses you have to dress the part. Other places you can wear whatever and it's no big deal. But there are certain occasions. Just because there are differences doesn't mean we're divided. Some will come to a banquet in formal wear. Others in their best jeans. So whether it's a wedding or social norm. Whatever it is, there will be differences. When getting together for a social occasion, the questions the ladies always ask first, since we men are usually a little clueless, they ask the question, what is everybody wearing? What is everybody wearing? Well, it sounds like a dumb question to me, since who can predict what everyone will be wearing? I don't know, it just sounds kind of stilly. Do we gather together with those we most closely identify with at the expense of the unity of the body or the church? Or do we relate socially, cross-culturally? Closely related would be economic differences. The early church had the wealthy and it had the poor. They had the free men and they had the slaves. How do we address economic differences? And do they divide us? You go into the average church parking lot, you'll find a Mercedes, SUVs, a Tesla, expensive imports, All-American pickups, new cars, used cars, and some junkers that usually belong to college students. That's what I find. How do we address economic differences? Do we let it divide us? Or how about age-life situations? This is probably a little closer to home. Senior adults have very different needs than young marrieds. Single, Single parents face different challenges than couples with teenagers. Teenagers have different needs than preschoolers. You have empty nesters, builders, boomers, busters, Gen X, you have millennials, old timers, newcomers, long time Christians, seekers, new believers. And the church needs all these generations and all these age life situations. How do we deal with the differences? Do we unite or do we divide? Then there are religious church differences. Religious or church differences. Oklahoma Wesleyan Church is made up of some lifelong Wesleyans. And also people from many different backgrounds. Some of you are still wondering, what is a Wesleyan? and How in the world do you spell that word? That's okay. To some, spiritual worship is quiet and solemn. Deep worship is quiet and solemn. And they view any emotion in worship as shallow and trite. For others, worship is full of life and energy and dancing and clapping. It's very noisy. And they view quiet worship as unspiritual, shallow and boring. It's not more or less spiritual one way or another. There are different cultures. That's okay. Go visit a traditional African-American church sometime. You want some emotion? You want some activity? They have what's called call and response. Okay. If you've not figured out what happens, you might see this in a movie or something and see an African American Church of God in Christ church. You have call and response. So the, so the soloist sings and everybody responds. And you go back and forth calling. Then the preacher gets up and preaches and he speaks and they respond, peek and they respond. Now, I, I couldn't do that. I'd tell you to quit interrupting me. But that's, that's what they do. You, it's the call and response. It's a culture. Lots of life, interactive sermons, different cultures. A man went to heaven and was given a newcomer tour by St. Peter. And as they walked down the golden streets, they passed several large buildings with windows open to the street below. The first building they passed, there was praise and worship with loud music and clapping of hands. Obviously, there was a lot of activity. It was very exciting. And Peter said, that's where the Pentecostals and Charismatics are. Next, they passed a building where the worship was even more lively. You could hear the call and response. People were very engaged. And Peter said, This is where the Church of God and Christ worship. Next, they passed a building and they heard a great pipe organ and congregational singing of Reformation hymns. And Peter identified this group as the Lutherans. Then they came to a huge wall. Peter asked the man to be very quiet. And over the wall, he heard people singing the great hymns of the faith and Bill Gaither songs. And Peter said, "On the other side are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones up here." (laughs) Now, if you're Baptist, don't be offended. You can tell that about Presbyterians or any, anyway. Anyway, so differences. Okay, how about personal differences, our own priorities, our own personal tastes, agendas, and preferences. This is where things can get really complicated it's not that we shouldn't have differences how do we deal with the differences so they do not cause division so they don't cause division do we have agenda harmony it's something we talked about the first connect groups going through the book loving the church do we have agenda harmony or is it my way or the highway Many people change churches at this point because it is my way or the highway. And usually the problems are not the real problem, but it's whether or not I got my way. It's whether or not I got my way. That's many times the reason people leave. There was a church in Grand Forks, North Dakota where my dad pastored and I grew up largely. This happened prior to us actually arriving there. They had a near church split over the picture that was to be displayed on the wall above the altar. There was a six month battle. Everybody fighting for their picture. And I wonder how many souls slipped unnoticed into hell while the church was fighting over a piece of canvas. How many hurting people came looking for a hospital instead found a fight? How many people came looking for community, instead found conflict? How many people came to that church looking for love, and instead they found anger? Disagreements. Divisions. There is an enormous cost. You will never agree with everything that happens in this church. We can never please everybody. The question is not, do we have disagreements? As I said, where two or three are gathered together, you will have disagreements. That's not the actual quote. It's supposed to be Jesus is there in the midst, but I've changed it a little bit. The question is, how do we handle disagreements so as to keep the unity and maximize our mission to bring people to Jesus Christ? How do we do that? I want to give you five steps. Five very quickly, very f- quickly. Five steps to handle disagreements. This is Roman numeral two. How do we handle disagreements? Letter A pray. Take it to God. Pray. Take it to God. Is that too spiritual for you? I hope not. Many disagreements would never be problematic if the first thing we did was pray. Say, God, I've got a disagreement. What do you want me to do about this disagreement? Is it my way or the highway? Letter B, identify the real issue. Identify the real issue. Is it just my way or is it a doctrinal issue? Is it a cultural issue? Is it a personal issue? What is the real issue here? And when you've done that, letter C, evaluate its importance. Evaluate its importance. If if it is an essential doctrinal issue, you may need to find another church to attend. If you came up against a doctrinal issue that refused to be changed and you felt very strongly it was a doctrinal issue, it was an issue... Of essential doctrine, you may have to find a different church. The color of the carpet chosen for the sanctuary is not an essential doctrinal issue. The church's stand on homosexuality or marriage? That is. That is. Letter D seek counsel. Seek counsel. Now, when I say seek counsel, I'm not saying find a group of people who agree with you in order to complain or gossip. It's kind of like, I'm gonna get this group around and we're gonna talk about it and figure out. Well, no, that's not what we're talking about, complaining or gossiping. Our tendency is to find others who feel the same way in order to bolster our feelings or reinforce our position. When we do that, disagreements become divisions and terrors become cracks. Now just so you know, Paul was not calling for uniformity of thought. He was calling for oneness of spirit. Oneness of spirit. Unity in diversity. Unity in the diversity. Oneness in the midst of differences. And then if you have prayed, you've identified the real issue, you've decided it's important, you've sought counsel, then letter E, speak directly to the person concerned. Speak directly to the person concerned. If you are aware of differences that can lead division to division, talk to the other person and agree to disagree, Do not let the difference fester. Do not let the difference fester. And let me say this. If you are at odds with the leadership about any issue, bring it into the open by speaking to them. After you've taken these steps, go ahead and speak to them. And after speaking your opinion, leave it there. And allow God to work. Allow God to work. And just because the leadership doesn't do what you suggested and you think they should, don't think they didn't listen. I know church leadership listens. And sometimes they have to make a different decision. Leave it. Say, I've expressed my opinion and leave it. Number three, Roman numeral three. Remember, Jesus Christ has one body. One body. Only one. One family. We can have family disagreements but never say, I'm going to leave and find another family. Family. We are always part of that family. Sometimes we're estranged, sometimes we're in conflict, but we're always one family and God calls on us to resolve the issues and live in unity. Paul writes that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Celebrate the diversity Work for unity so that it's not my way or the highway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us live examples of what it was like in the church in Corinth. And, and uh, Father, I know a lot of that happens today. And I just pray that you would bring unity in the midst of diversity. We will always have diversity and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work in our lives and hearts to bring unity in the midst of diversity, and that we would, we would not ever allow disagreements to, to, to move into division, but that we would stay united, perfect in thought and heart. In Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? We're learning a new song today. i don't you learn
1: You won't be overwhelmed.
0: seated for just a moment this is the last Sunday of the month and we are I'm calling the ushers forward Uh, last Sunday of the month we'd like to take an offering for benevolence those that may have needs and uh, situations in the in their families or whatever so they're going to just go ahead and pass the offering plates down as I just share a couple thoughts while we're doing that um, you have an insert and please everybody can you wave it to me can you do two things at once just let me know you have it Next Sunday, it's not gonna affect this service as much. Thank you, Bailey. <laughs> uh, new service times. Now, the first service will stay, is staying the same at 9 a.m. And we're gonna have coffee and conversation after the service out in the cafe in the lobby area as well. The second service starts at 10.30. Now, I just need to give instructions for parents. Um, they, you may dismiss your children Uh, immediately after this service to go downstairs. They're going to have snacks for uh, the children's ministry and kid zone uh, for children at that time. And then they're Uh, their class, their discipleship class begins at 1030 as well as the student ministries class at 1030. So student ministries and children's ministry and nursery, all of that is happening concurrent with the second service. So second service starts at 1030. And so um, we're trying this as an experiment. We're going to try it for three months, see how it works. And uh, we want to give you an opportunity to meet people that are coming in for the second service and vice versa. So um, take the opportunity. If you see somebody you don't know, Introduce yourself, just say hi, talk to them, get to know them. Uh, it's, it's designed, this is designed to, to kind of provide opportunity to meet people. And, uh, and so it's a great time f- for that. Also, just a couple other things very quickly. New members class is March 10th, uh, Saturday 9 to, to 12 noon. And we're asking you to sign up at the information center in the lobby. Uh, just because, uh, so we know how to prepare with materials, et cetera, And uh, if you are interested, in that, maybe you're not sure you want to become a member, but you just want to know more. You can you can come in and attend the class as well. We'll have some refreshments at the beginning of the class: donuts and coffee and orange juice and some some other stuff uh, at nine o'clock. Uh, on the Saturday the 10th and then baptism Sunday March 11th we have I think three people that we know of now that are getting baptized so if you want to know more about that email the church office or talk to Pastor Damien and we'll get you set up for baptism on March 11th I think that's all that we have uh, this morning again if you have prayer requests prayer needs at the end we have a prayer team that will be up here uh, to pray with you if you have needs as we go let's Uh, Let's stand, shall we, as we are dismissed with the benediction. Let's stand. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless.